the reason I'm up here is because John Elmer is here. And you might say, who's John Elmer? John Elmer is what is referred to as the super regional leader of the Vineyard USA. He's one of uh, a number of them. And we have the privilege, because I was at a meeting with him this past weekend, um, we have the privilege of saying, John, come on over here and preach to us. Come over here and give us a word from God. And he gave us a word from God. He didn't come over here and say, Vineyard USA is a great organization and you should contribute, get involved, and do the things. He didn't do that. He came over here and he said, Jesus said this in the book of Mark. And it was amazing. And so when we get to the end of this message, you're going to say, hey, that's not the way we always do it. It's not the way we always do it. My prayer is that you hear the Holy Spirit grab a hold of your heart because of what he has placed on John. So John, why don't you come on up here? I'll grab your stand. Well, good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, thanks, Joe. What he shared wasn't exactly true, that what he said, okay? Um, I'm actually Joe's parole officer. <laughs> so... Um, just make it a quick visit. No. <laughs> no, I'm not. And it's so good to be here. You know, Joe and Janice are such great leaders and pastors, and they have a great reputation in the wider vineyard. They have been area leaders where they pastored pastors and uh, just have done a great job with that. Great job as churches. This church is wonderful. I've I really enjoyed being at the service before this and this one. And um, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, well, today I want to talk about the idea that everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. Like, you know, that's it, true no matter what age you are. It's especially true with kids, right? But games going on, they want to be in it. Now, when I, my kids were young, I, had, I would coach for them the under-seven-year-old uh, soccer teams. And it was most of these kids' first organized sports thing, and it was... It was organized chaos, right? It was just crazy. But all the kids wanted to be in the game and be in doing something all the time. And uh, there was this one little girl. She was actually my niece. Her name was Becca. And she epitomized this. Becca always wanted to be in. Now, she was a great athlete. She actually was, uh, became an All-American lacrosse player. But she was intense and always wanted to be in the game. And so we would put you know, our best players out first and then switch them out and put a whole second team in. And everybody, was, everybody had to play in the league, you know, by, by rule. And so she would be out there and she'd be running around and do it. And when I'd call the team off and put the second team in, she would, like, walk over, get a sip of water, and then right away be in my ear. Hey, Uncle John, can I go in now? Hey, Uncle John, how about now? I go, no, no, you got to wait. How about now? It's not now. I've been waiting. You know, come on, can I, can I come on? She was just begging and begging and begging to get in. She, I think, had that that is in all of us. We, we, we want to play. We want to be in the game, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to to, to moving with what God is up to, seeing his power and his presence and his transformation. We want to participate in that. Now, in the vineyard, we have this long-held value that everybody gets to play. It's not just the man of God or the woman of God from up front. It's everybody. 
No matter what your age is, it's young and old, uh, men and women, educated, uneducated, brand new believers and those who've been following Jesus for decades. It's for the, the bruised, the hurting, the broken. We all get to play. Everybody. Now, why is that? Well, here's my first point. We have all been made to play. Let me read you something from the, right around the beginning of the Bible. And it's a glimpse into what happened long, long ago. True story. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God made us in his image. Like we're a reflection of who he is. We're, we're a, a, a high resolution copy, if you will. That there's something about us that, that, that Paul says who God is. And one of those things is that, that God likes to be involved, connected. You know, Jesus is God in flesh when he walked this earth. He was in the game. I mean, he didn't just sit back and tell people what to do. He was walking among people. He fed people. He put his hands on lepers and healed them. He, he, he washed feet. He was completely involved and walked through the whole redemption plan for us. We're made in that image. goes on to say, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here it is. The very first command of God was basically get in the game. Go for it. Create and serve and engage the, what is around you. And he blessed them when they did that. Now, that starts right in the beginning of the Bible. It's all through the Bible. But I want to read you a, a place in the New Testament that says it really clearly. So this is in Ephesians. It says, For we are God's handiwork. Now, that word in the original language that's translated here, handiwork, could easily and oftentimes is translated masterpiece we are God's masterpiece I mean God is this incredible wonderful creator artist person and we are his masterpieces each one of us I, I like to kind of envision this like this that that Jesus rises up in heaven and he, he gets this idea and says man I, I'm going to my workshop he says, hey, everybody, hold all my calls. I'm going to my workshop. And he goes in there and he puts on his, you know, leather work apron and he steps back and he thinks for a little bit and dreams and envisions this incredible masterpiece. And at one point, that was you he's dreaming of. And, and he gets there and he thinks and then and he goes, oh, I got it, I got it. This is going to be great. 
And he reaches over and he grabs some of this kind of personality type and grabs over here and grabs this hair color and grabs over here these spiritual gifts and opens this drawer up and pulls out this amount of height. And, and when he did it for me, he sneezed. And some had spilled. And he said, I'll get that later, but he forgot. Or maybe he gave it to Joe, I don't know. But I didn't get it. Anyhow, he puts it all together, right? And this and that, and these passions. And he goes, oh, wow. Wow, this thing is incredible. This is, this is a masterpiece. This is a, a wonderful creation. And he bursts open his door in the workshop and looks around and says, hey, Gabriel, come over here. Michael, row your boat over here for a minute. Hey, check this out. And they come running over and go, oh, Man, you outdid yourself. This is, this is incredible. This is wonderful. This is so beautiful and, and, and wonderfully made. This, you know what, Jesus? I, I think this one is tied for your best one ever. And he says, yeah, I think so too. That's you. You're the masterpiece. You've been created by God. For we're his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. And Jesus did this. And when we come in connection with him, in relationship with him now, what he created is, is supersized. It is empowered. It is released to be all that it was meant to be in Christ. For we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That each one of us has a purpose, has a calling to do something, to transform your environment, your community, your people around you. Now I'll tell you what, I, I preach this message a lot at my home church because I think it's really important. And every time I do, and when I've preached this in a row, I know this happens. I'm guaranteeing you right now, there's some of you that are hearing me say that. And you're thinking, I don't know. I, I, anxiety goes up and, and, and maybe even angst comes. At, like, well, I don't, I, I don't know if I've been called. I mean, that's a thing for pastors or missionaries or special people, but not me. And, you know, I, and if it is, I don't know it. I'm confused. I, I'm not sure what it is. And, and, and I want to tell you, yes, you are called. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He knew about from the beginning and created you for them. You do. Now, I'll tell you what. It's a public service. I'm going to let you know how you can figure out what your calling is. I, I'm stealing a phrase that I heard from a pastor, Bill Hybels, in the Midwest. And he uses this phrase, holy discontentment. You have a holy discontentment that God's embedded in you. Holy, it's from God. Discontentment, you're not good with the situation. And this holy discontentment shows up in all kinds of ways. You may be walking through your life, minding your own business, and maybe you see somebody who is... Who is hungry, who just honestly doesn't have enough food to eat, 
and, and you look at that and it, it breaks your heart and makes you angry and, and you're like, Tom, this isn't right. And you begin to say things like, this is not right. Somebody's got to do something about it. That's a clue. That's your holy discontentment. Maybe it's, it's you, 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 you read and you find out the fact that it, it, you know, what someone's zip code is determines about the level of education they're going to get in America. And you read that and you think, what? That's not right. That's not fair. That's not just. And it begins to stir you. And somebody else could read that same article in the paper and, and they're going like, oh, that kind of stinks, but it doesn't do anything about it. But for you, it rends you. It stirs you. It, it breaks your heart. And again, you say things like, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something about that. Maybe you just see a crowd of people and in your eyes, you realize that, that most of those people don't know Jesus. And if nothing changes, that they're literally going to end up living their life until the point they die and end up forever separated in hell. And it just stirs you. And you can't sleep. And you struggle with that truth. And you know that somebody's got to do something about it. It could be about anything. It could be sickness and praying and, and transformation of communities and, and growing you know, just to communities or, or, or serving and teaching people the Bible. There's all kinds of things. But each one of us has something in our soul that makes us stir. We think somebody's got to do something about that. Well, that is your holy discontentment. And when you, get involved, when you begin to step out and work in that area, serve in that area, the blessing of God covers you and stirs you and, and it gives you peace and joy. That's what the Scriptures tell us. And you know, the great thing about the Bible, let me, out of, out of like the 27 reasons I believe the Bible is true, one of them is every time social scientists study some of the things that it says about humans like you and me, it verifies what the Bible has said long ago. For example, this whole thing that, that we'll be blessed when we serve others, right? Let me read you some, some actual research that social scientists did. From a Canadian national survey of giving and volunteering that was done in the year 2000, these are some of their conclusions. Volunteering, serving other people, moving in your passion, I would say, leads to greater life satisfaction and lower rates of depression. Researchers found that when patients with chronic or serious illness volunteer, they receive benefits beyond what can be achieved through medical care. Actually heals us from the inside out. The University of Nevada, you know that great Christian bastion there that you know, wants to prove the Bible's truth? not um, here's what they found and if you have kids listen very carefully to this if you're in junior high or high school here listen listen to this what it says youth who volunteer just one hour or more a week are 50 percent less likely to abuse alcohol cigarettes become pregnant or engage in other destructive behavior transforms kids. Some of us are older. Some of us are as old as me. Or you'll get there. 
And, and listen to this one. This one's a good one for people my age. Retired men who serve one day a week live two and a half times longer than men who don't. God blesses us when we serve others, when we're in the game for the kingdom of God. Here's my second point. Jesus wants us to impact others. It's not just activity. It's not just being busy, but it's meaningful activity. It's kingdom work. It's it's moving in the passions and the calling that He has given you. We're called to serve our King and the people He loves. One time when He was talking to some of His disciples, people like you and me, He said this to them. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He sees them in erection, but you're salt. You have this, this, this duty. You have this power to do things. See, salt, one of the things it does is it preserves. It, it stops things that are dying from dying and rotting. It's kind of an agent of life. The other thing is it brings flavor to things. Do you ever eat popcorn without salt? Let me ask it a better way. Have you ever eaten cardboard without salt? It's like the exact same thing, isn't it? Like, like the salt gives it flavor. It gives it you know, joy as people eat it. We're to be that, that preserving, joy-filled presence in dying places. He also said, you are the light of the world. Now, light illuminates. Light uh, shows the way. Light lets us see. Light actually chases away fear oftentimes, doesn't it? And that's where we're to be. Go in dark places and bring the light, the presence of Jesus in those places. We're to be in the game. To change things. Each one of us. I don't care who you are. That's what we're called to do. I, I don't care what your parents told you when you were younger. I don't care what your fourth grade teacher called you. I don't care what your boss is yelling at you right now. You are a masterpiece created to serve others. And that will bring you great joy. When we get in the game, we'll impact people. Let me, let me just tell you about this guy my church. His name is Joe. Joe's just an average guy. He, you know, wasn't, wasn't super educated, wasn't, you know, a, he's not a good communicator. He, he was just an average guy. About 20 years ago, Joe was just retiring. But Joe began to notice, now with a little more time in his hands, people in our community who were hungry. And he came to me and kind of angry. said, you know, there's all these people around Syracuse who are hungry. You know, and some research had just come out. We were one of the, the, the places in the country with the deepest corners of poverty and hunger in America. And he says, that's, you know, he just came. He says, that's not right. That's right with, you know, with driving distance of our front door. We, we need to do something. We, somebody needs to do something. This isn't right. We've got to do something. I said, Joe, okay, do something. Go for it. And so Joe, just, you know, he's a simple guy, just 
started buying more groceries. Got a couple other people in the church to buy more groceries. Just started having those and inviting people to come on a Saturday morning and get groceries. And it started there. And over the 20 years, Joe, every week, he would be there and he would serve people. And during the week, he would go pick up things and bring them and stack them and make it all thin. And he had this passion for serving people. And he would light up when he was back there. And our food pantry grew to the spot where it was one of the, the best ones in our county. In fact, the food bank of central New York would come and bring people to see how Joe did our food pantry because it was so good. And now Joe is in his mid-80s. He's all hunched over. He, he can barely walk. He's got this walker. Let me show you Joe sprinting to the door. That's honest. Joe still goes to the food pantry every week. Joe, they, and during the, when a pandemic hit, and it hit really hard in central New York, you know, I did five uh, uh, COVID funerals at our church. And people were scared. And you know what happened was all these food pantries around closed down. A lot of them were run by, you know, retired senior people. And they were scared. And everybody was scared. And so food bank calls Joe up. He says, Joe, man, we need your help more than ever. There's all these clothes. And Joe comes to me and and what we do is Joe helps us, we're a multi-site church, helps us set up three other food pantries. And in the midst of COVID, when everything was shutting down, Joe led us to start three new ones. And now we have, we, we serve over 400 families every weekend food. Last year, we gave, up, gave away over a half a million Meals. That's, that's a meal for everybody in our county. It's incredible what Joe's done. Because Joe, simple guy on the outside, wonderfully made on the inside like you, responded to his holy discontentment. We're to get in the game. And when we do, we're going to impact others. You're going to change your family. You're going to change your community. You can change this church. You can change the state. You could, you could be a part of changing this country. But, and here's my third point, we will need to step in faith. See, here's the thing. About your holy discontentment, about what God created you to do and is probably calling you to do right now, it's bigger than you are. It is scary. It is going against the grain. It is standing up and saying no to something that's being allowed across the board. It is breaking social norms to share the gospel, to reach across cultural and, and racial divides, to, to serve those who, who are disempowered. There's all kinds of things, and it is hard. And a lot of people don't do it because it is bigger than them. But God has created you wonderfully and wants you to move in what He's made you to be so He can be the hero. And He's going to call you to something bigger than you are. And when we're doing this kingdom work, we'll need kingdom power. What we'll need is Holy Spirit. 
to do supernatural stuff. Let, let me read you one at a time. He sent out some of his disciples, and this is how he sends us out as well. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. You and I are going to do that? We need the Holy Spirit to do it. That's not just church activity in the front here. That's what we're supposed to be doing in our schools, at, at work, in our neighborhood, at Walmart, at Walgreens, at Wagner's, at whatever something starts with W, do it there, okay? Like, work to do it at all places, at all times. And we'll need to be in tune with His Holy Spirit to walk that out. Man, it just says, freely you have received, freely give. Think about all that you have received. The grace of God, His mercy, His joy, His healing, His provision. All those things. We tend to give it to step out of our safety zone, get off the couch, and get into the game. He always did it when people responded Incredible things happen. I'm going to end with this one biblical story because I think it shows us really this, this, this kind of movement of being in the game. It happened at a very difficult time of Jesus' life. Jesus had already started His ministry. And while He was doing ministry, He got some terrible news. His cousin. Somebody who he loved and cared about, had relationship with. The one who actually publicly announced him as the Messiah. We know him as John the Baptist. He got no news that John the Baptist was brutally murdered for his faith. Had his head cut off and displayed on a silver platter. And you can imagine how Jesus felt. He's human just like us. And he gets us, like the commercials say, right? And, and he must have been dealing with grief. And we know that he said that he, he wanted to go on, on the other side. He wanted to get into a quiet place. And so they get into the boats. And they head over to the quiet side of the lake. But people found out where he was going. And so... A whole big crowd ran around. And when they got to that side of the lake, there was a crowd there already. And it tells us that Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion and began to serve them. And, and you know, we know that He preached the Word and gave them the truth full of grace that, that I can only imagine in a time He was healing people and encouraging people and, and, and you know, maybe prophesying for people. All the kinds of ministry that he did was doing it. And people were being impacted. Now I'm going to pick up the story right there. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. They said, this is a remote place and, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. See, the disciples kind of picked up, there's a problem here. It's getting late. All the 7-Elevens in town have closed. And so we need to make sure people get something to eat. 
And so go send them. They're, they're like, something's got to happen. There's something wrong here. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. He, they see a problem and He sends them. You respond. You do something to fix this. Well, they said to Him, and I'm kind of guessing Matthew is behind this. You know, he was a, a tax collector, CPA kind of brain, right? And so he looks around the crowds, does a little calculation, cost of bread right now, throwing a little, you know, bologna in there, maybe a little mayonnaise, whatever. And he comes up with this thing and goes, it's going to cost us like a half a year wages. And so they go back to Jesus. and say, that'd take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them something to eat? Like, they do a little research. They understand the depth of the problem. This is a big problem. And Jesus says to him, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And sometimes we read over that and we think, oh, sure, they just went and got a quick survey of help with food. But I want you to think about it. Here's this huge crowd. We're told it's 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. But here's this huge crowd, right? And, and they're all there, and they're all hungry, and if you got food in that crowd, you're not showing everybody your food, right? You know there's a bunch of hungry people. You're kind of hiding it and eating it a little bit inside. And they got to go into the crowd and figure it out. It's walking over. Hey, buddy. Got any lunch meat? <laughs> you know, hey, pal, I smell garlic. You got a piece of pizza there? Like, what's going on? I mean, it must have been a little hard and awkward to do this research. But they had tough conversations. They went into circles of people they didn't know to find out what they could find out. And they come back. And they came back and said, there's five loaves and two fish. And when I picture that, again, don't read these things too quick. I want you to live in the moment. You read that, like these five, they're a little like loaves. It's, it's almost like if you put them all together, it'd kind of be like two foot long Subway sandwiches. Right? Like, hey, we got a couple of sandwiches here. Doesn't seem very helpful, but this is our resources, Lord. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. Think about this. They come and they hand Jesus two 12-inch subs, basically. And Jesus prays. He invites the move of the Holy Spirit in this impossible situation. And then it says he broke it and gave it to him. Think, right? Just pretend for a minute you're Nathaniel. And Nathaniel just happened to be right at the front row. And Jesus takes his 12-inch sandwich and he, he, he rips off a chunk. Maybe he gives you half of it. And now you have six inches of sub. And he says, okay, go, you feed that group, those groups over there. Now there's over 5,000 people. I mean, you're, you're talking about, he's got to feed at least 500 people. 
And he's going into a hungry crowd. I don't know what you would do. I've thought long and hard about this. I can't wait to sit with Nathaniel and find out exactly what happened. But I'm guessing if I was him, and Jesus rips off six inches, and I'm looking at it, I'm looking at this hungry crowd behind me, I kind of hide it when I go out there a little bit. And I'm kind of like thinking as I'm walking in the crowd going, you know, like I'm terrified. And I'm thinking, I'm praying that classic prayer. Oh God, oh God, oh God, what am I going to do? And he goes out there and I, guess, I just see him getting to the front row of that crowd. He says, hey buddy, you want to buy you something to eat? He goes, yeah. Kind of pulls off just a little piece and hands it to him. Guy eats his face. Goes to the next guy, hey, you want something to eat? Yeah. Kind of, you know, breaks off a piece and hands it to him. The next guy's this big, kind of psycho, psycho dude, you know, and he's, he's like, you got something to eat? And he goes, uh, uh, yeah. He goes, give me something. And you're like, he's like terrified, so he's like, I better give him a bigger piece. And pulls off a little bigger piece and hands it to him. And then next to him is this mom with three hungry kids. And he's going, what am I going to do? And he looks down for the first time, and he looks at that six-inch sub in his hand, thinking it's down to two or three inches. But he looks at it, and miraculously, somehow, it's still six inches. And uh, I just imagine, now he grabs a bigger pace, and goes, man, would you like this, and feed your kids, and they eat it, and, and, and he looks down, and it's still six inches, and he gives a bigger piece. He says, hey, and now he's getting excited, and his faith is growing. He says, hey, how about some more, and how about some more? And he starts yelling, hey, I got food here, baby! Who wants it? You know, and he's handing it out and giving bigger chunks and going back to the guy who only gave a bite, and here's some more, and he just feeds the whole crew. And then they got to do what you said. they got to pick up the scraps. And just to, to emphasize, just to say, see, y'all, when, when, when you listen to me, I will bless you. Each of them go out with this like laundry basket and come back and it's full of leftovers of these fish subs. And Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. See, that's what you and I are called to do. What is your holy discontentment. What right now has God maybe this morning or this week or for the last years or two maybe, what has God been stirring in you? You keep finding yourself saying, that's not right. Somebody needs to do something. That somebody is you. And I don't care if you're, you're 14, 44, or 84. God has created you to step in the gap and to do it. And if you don't, people may never receive what God has for them. What is your holy discontentment?